This morning our sermon text is from the same chapter of 1 Corinthians that our assurance of forgiveness was from. Just several verses earlier will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 22. Many have said that this chapter is the chapter of resurrection in all in the all, all of New Testament. It tells us not only about the resurrection but it tells us about the implications of the resurrection. Why does the resurrection actually matter for us, God's people? But before we get there, I have a friend. His name is Dave Hardy. And on Facebook, he likes to play a game called What If Wednesday? And almost every Wednesday, he'll, play, he'll post a question that will begin with, What If? And some of his are serious, some are more thoughtful, and some are just downright silly. Uh, one of my favorite recent ones was, uh, what if humans had to sleep through an entire month? Which month would you choose and why? Not sure I came up with a very good one after I thought, oh, how about this month? And I realized, well, that's not a good month. How about another one? But maybe you have one that you would like to choose and kids that are here with us, either online or in person this morning, have you ever played that game? Have you ever played that what if game? Or even if you haven't played the game, have you ever just thought, what if? Right? What if the sky wasn't blue? What if you could stay up as late as you wanted? What if you were allowed to eat ice cream for every meal? What if we all had pet unicorns? What if we could fly? There are so many fun what-if questions. And this morning, I want you to think of one more. And this is important. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? That's a pretty big what-if. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? You might be thinking, well, this is kind of awkward, Pastor John. As my kids would say, awkward. It's Easter, and we're celebrating the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. Why would we be asking, what if he didn't rise from the dead? But I think it's a perfect day to ask this what if question. And guess what? <laughs> the Apostle Paul answers this what if question in our text today. This isn't just an interesting what if, like my friend Dave sometimes posts on Facebook. This is the most important what if question ever. And with that in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 22. The Apostle Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Corinth and ours, <laughs> separated by thousands of years, yet still ours in Christ. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in, as Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, who by your spirit, inspired by your spirit, wrote these, wrote this letter to the brothers and sisters in Corinth many, many years ago. Answering a question that maybe even some of us might have. What if Christ did not rise from the dead? This isn't a new question as we see here, Lord God. This was a, a question that those in Corinth had and in your mercy and your grace you addressed it through the words of your apostle Paul. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may this not only transform our lives, but may our lives be conformed to your very word. Your very word who is Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So before we get into what Paul is writing here in our text, I just thought it might be good to kind of just have a little quick background about Corinth to help us understand what Paul, what context Paul is writing to. Obviously, I can't go into too much detail here, but the atmosphere of Corinth had a lot of resemblances to our own culture. Things that people in Corinth valued were power, particularly to achieve goals, education, wealth, knowledge, religious and moral purity, family and ethnic group position. Local community status was prized in this highly status-conscious society. Many characteristics of the cultural life of first century Corinth are seeping into the life of the Christian community there. Instead of being transformed by biblical teaching, they are believing like their counterparts in the pagan society around them. And instead of just, you know, Paul is an apostle. He has been given authority by Jesus, right? Paul is the apostle that met Jesus on the road to Damascus in, when Jesus appears to him from heaven. He even talks about that earlier in chapter 15, referencing it. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has authority and he could have just said, stop it. Don't do it. Get your act together. But instead of saying that, instead of saying just be better, do better, Paul bases his entire case on a theology of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. You see, everything that is happening in the church 
all the ways in which the cultural pressures are coming into the church, Paul addresses it not by saying how stupid you are, how wrong you are, do better, shape up, get better. He places all of this in terms of how the church is to live and act within the context of a theology of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Each problem at Corinth is addressed from a theological premise directly or indirectly related to the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And so from this, Paul is promoting a new way of being and living in the world. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again permeates this whole letter. And this story of Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again is central to the life and mission of the church, to its authenticity. Paul is, however, interested in more than the redemptive significance of Christ for the Christian church. Paul shows Christ crucified as a pattern for reevaluation of all things in the culture that may be brought into the Christian community. He calls for a transformation of cultural values in all areas. All is to be brought under the transforming light of Christ crucified and Christ raised for us through God's grace. And this is why the resurrection is so important. It's not merely the death of Jesus on the cross that is good news. But the resurrection is the reason for the church. It's the reason for living And it seems that there were some in the Corinthian church that were questioning the resurrection. There's debate over whether they were debating the fact that Jesus himself rose from the dead or whether there was no bodily resurrection for believers. But either way, the question is asked, what if there is no resurrection of the dead? And Paul lays out a series of what ifs. And I want us to look at his what ifs this morning, and then we'll get to the main point that he's making. The first what is if is, what if there is no future resurrection? In verses 12 through 13, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been, read, been raised. As I said, there's no exact understanding of what these views are that are going on. They may have held the kind of the typical Greek view of immortality where we are to be freed from our bodies, right? Our soul is freed and our bodies are, are no longer needed. In fact, our, the body in the Greek mind was thought that you need liberation from it because it was almost like a tomb. And the spirit needed to be freed from this physical realm, from the body, They may have also rejected the thought of a bodily resurrection in reaction to some Jewish views. There were some Jewish views that the body would be raised exactly as it was when it, was, when it died, right? That whatever state the body was in when, when the person died, that's how they'd be raised again. They're, they wouldn't be glorified as Christ was. They wouldn't be, their bodies would not be glorified, would not be made new, Or they may have held that the resurrection life in believers is all in the here and now. 
that the resurrection of Christ happened, but the benefits only are for the here and now. And Paul says the consequences of holding to this idea that there is no resurrection of the dead. That if dead men or women don't rise, (laughs) if dead men and women aren't raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And Paul is reasoning that since Christ was genuinely human and died a human death, if men are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. But But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, he goes on to say, what if Christ did not rise? If Christ did not rise, Paul points out that there's no gospel. There's no forgiveness of sins in verses 14 through 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain or empty, and your faith is in vain or empty. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or empty, and you are still in your sins. This word, as I translated as I was reading this futile, can also mean, or vain, can also mean empty. If there is no resurrection of Christ, the preaching which Paul has shown is not just what he himself proclaimed, but all the apostles. If Christ has not been raised, then their preaching has nothing in it. There's no substance. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that shows that God is active that God is in Christ, redeeming the world to to himself. If the resurrection did not take place, the gospel is a sham. You see, Paul says, as great as Jesus dying on the cross was, as, as wonderful as it is to think about our sins being nailed to the cross and, and Jesus dying the death that we deserve, if he did not rise from the dead, that did not matter. His death on the cross meant nothing. That the resurrection is the foundation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, it is a sham. There's nothing for us if the resurrection is not true. And when he talks about this preaching, it doesn't mean the act of preaching. He means the content, the thing being preached, the message Paul uses empty again to describe our faith without resurrection. Our faith is empty. Your faith, my faith, the faith of the Corinthians depends on the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ where the resurrection is the vindication The resurrection is what shows that Jesus' death was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins, for the conquering of death. 
The gospel is a sham without the resurrection, and there is no faith produced. But he goes even further in Christ that is a fruitless exercise if the result, that our faith in Christ is a, is a fruitless exercise if we are still in our sins. If we are still in our sins, what does it mean that Christ died for our sins? In that case, as I said, Jesus' death has accomplished nothing. One commentator said, Christ dead without resurrection is a condemned Christ, not a justified Christ. How could he justify others if he was not justified? Faith would then be futile. Paul gives us one more what if. What if Christ was just an example? Verses 18 through 19. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. Basically he's saying, if our faith is in Christ who lived a, a good life and who died on the cross in an act of self-sacrifice, as beautiful and as maybe wonderful in some way that is that Christ lived and showed us how to be better people. If that's all, then we are to be pitied. Christianity is not a system of good advice, Paul is saying. The apostles had not simply told people of a good way to live. They had said that something had happened. Something at a particular place, at a particular time in history had happened. That the God of the universe became man. The God-man lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve, but then rose from the dead. <laughs> Changing everything. Christianity is basically a gospel, a good news of what God has done, the good news. And the function of the apostles, of preachers, is to bear witness to God's saving act. The function of all the church is to bear witness to God's saving acts. And the apostles had done that. They had testified that God raised Jesus Christ. But if dead men and women don't rise, then dead Jesus did not rise. And it is a lie to say that God raised him. Paul is saying that Christ rose or we all lied. And we are to be pitied most of anyone. If in this life we have set our hope on Christ and that is all, then we are to be pitied more than all men. There is no if there is no resurrection, Christians are pitiable, deluded people. So Paul sets this all up. Right in verses 1 through 11, if you want to go back and read that, he reminds them and us of what he has preached 
of what he has, what they have said about who Christ is, what he has done, the historical facts. Then Paul goes through these what ifs, and then he comes, we come to verse 20. 20. And this is the main point that I want us to see this morning. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, our hope is the resurrection. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, our hope is the resurrection. What Paul is getting at is that first and foremost, that Jesus rose from the dead, but as much good news as that is, Paul doesn't want our faith, our hope to end there. We too will be raised. Our hope is the resurrection. And he gives us two reasons for this hope. He says that Jesus is the beginning of our hope and participation with Jesus is our hope. First, Jesus is the beginning of our hope, verse 20. Paul states this fact with simplicity and assurance. He says, clearly, he has no doubts, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he uses in the Greek the perfect tense, has been raised, means fully, that he was raised, is raised, continues to be raised. He is the raised one. He is the raised one who has been risen from the dead and will continue to be risen from the dead for all eternity. Not only did Christ rise on a certain day in history, but he continues permanently in his character as the risen Lord. Jesus' resurrection is not merely a paradigm for our future resurrection, but is actually the beginning of that future resurrection itself. And he says that by referring to the first fruits. The first fruits point to the harvest, which was brought to the temple to be offered to God in Leviticus chapter 23. It was consecrated to consecrate the whole harvest. And these first fruits imply that there will be more to come. His resurrection was to a life that knows no death. And in the same, and in that sense, he was the first and the forerunner of all those who were to be in him. As Charles Hodge said, the resurrection of Christ is a pledge and proof of the resurrection of his people. It is a pledge and a proof of the resurrection of his people. It is the beginning of our hope. On Friday, I was able to get my first dose of the COVID vaccine. And I got a sticker <laughs> that said, hope is here. And while I certainly am hopeful that these vaccines will help us get back to whatever normal is going to be and is bringing a sense of hope for a return to normal. But as I sat there on what was Good Friday with my hope is here sticker on, I was even more reminded that hope is here not because of a vaccine, but because of resurrection. The death that Jesus died on Good Friday only brings hope if the resurrection is true. His resurrection is the vindication that declares hope is here. Even more so than a vaccine bringing a beginning of hope, the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of of the greatest hope, the hope of the resurrection to all who believe. And that leads to his second point that 
we have participation with Jesus is hope. Not only Jesus is the beginning of our hope, but the participation with Jesus is hope, verses 21 and 22. He reminds us of Adam's sin. You're like, why would he remind us of Adam's sin? Because he's connecting us to all of humanity, to the sin that brought disaster on Adam himself and to all of humankind. But if Adam's sin had far-reaching consequences, Paul is saying, so did Christ's resurrection. Christ, who is the second Adam, the true Adam, the truest human, the true humanity, his resurrection has far-reaching consequences just like Adam sin did. It concerned not only himself, but all those who believe in him, Jesus' resurrection does. Just as death came into the world through Adam, so life came into the world through Christ. Paul's repeated through a man points to the reality of the incarnation. That Christ was truly a man as Adam was truly a man. And that as sin came through a man, so through a man, sin has been overcome. Death has been overcome by the resurrection of Jesus. People will be raised from the dead because they participate in and are identified now with Christ. And we share this final victory over the last enemy, death, when he comes. All that are by faith united to Christ are by his resurrection assured of their own. And this is Paul's point. That Jesus' resurrection points to our own. It is the sign and seal of our future resurrection. It is the sign and seal that the resurrection has broken in and is, in fact, part of who we are now and into eternity. The resurrection is our hope. Not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but all who are in him, who believe in him, have the same future, have the same hope. I'll close with this. On Friday, my friend David Schweising, who some of you know and some of you may not know him personally, but know about him planting a church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. He was at a Good Friday breakfast at the YMCA, and the speaker shared how he had been in a work accident. He'd been crushed by a 4,000-pound something, and his heart had stopped, and he was in the hospital for months, and he shared God's provision in his healing. And David said, it was, a, it was great to hear of the miraculous intervention. It was wonderful to hear how God had worked in this man's life. But he said to some of us that he was sharing this with, I've left a bit disappointed with no mention of sin, need for Christ's death and resurrection, especially on this Good Friday. Later that day, his wife Carrie called him. Said their good friend Jason, a a man that he had shared Christ with at their previous church in Pitcairn, who had come to faith through the ministry of David in the Pitcairn church, had been hurt badly at work, had been crushed by a 4,000-pound something. 
His heart had stopped for 30 minutes and he was on the way to the hospital. David said, I cried, I prayed, and I texted Jason's wife to tell her that I was with them no matter what. He said, that night I was at a good fr- community Good Friday service preparing for the service in the pastor's study of the church that we were using. We were praying together. And as we finished praying, I got a phone call. A call that he had dreaded all day. His friend Jason had died. Here's what David wrote to some of us, of his friends reflecting later that night on that Good Friday day. He writes this, if our message is that God helped me when it was hard or God fixed it, then what hope is there for people when God doesn't help or God doesn't fix it? I'm glad that the morning speaker experienced a miracle, but my friend didn't. And now I'm doing his funeral next week. But if our hope is in the resurrected Christ, then it changes everything. Jesus never promised life would be easy. He never promised to fix all our problems or prevent accidents or protect us from harm. I had to tell two little kids tonight that their daddy's death isn't right, that nothing in the world makes it right, that it's okay for them to feel that it's not right. But if our message is that Jesus died on the cross to conquer the curse of sin and death in the world and to say that one day set the world to rights and make all things new, then there is hope. And it's the only true hope we can have. Now you may be saying, Pastor John, I want a feel-good story on Easter Sunday. As sad as this story is in this moment, the reality is it is a feel-good story. Because my friend David is exactly right. If all we have to hold out to people is, God help me, God fixed it, then there is no real hope. As one commentator has said, we are a resurrection people living in a Good Friday world. This story, this truth is a feel-good story. Because David's friend Jason was in Christ. David's hope was in the, Jason's hope is in the resurrection. And no matter what we experience in this life, the resurrection is our hope. Jesus rose from the dead and therefore all that are in him have that same hope. I pray that is your hope today resurrection hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for resurrection hope. 
that in Christ we are indeed raised to new life. We are raised from the dead in him. Lord, we pray that this day and every day would be lived with resurrection hope. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.